Hi, this is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I serve as the interim site pastor at Urban Village Church, Edgewater. Urban Village Church does bold, inclusive, and relevant ministry for people who were traumatized by church, people who feel overchurched, and even the non-churched folks. If you identify with any of these signifiers, we're so glad you're listening. Would you consider helping us continue this Jesus-loving ministry in and across Chicago and over the internet? You can make a generous recurring gift by going to our website, urbanvillagechurch.org backslash give. And thanks for helping us with your ears, actions, and dollars to build up God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And now, here's the latest sermon. God says that his word is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it cuts to the very core of who we are. May it be so this morning. From Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 12, and then 35 to 38, the words are also on the screen behind me, if you can see through this thing. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came out and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Then Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were like harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send all laborers into his harvest. The living word of God for his living people. Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I'm so glad that you are here. It takes a whole group of us to make Sunday morning happen just by showing up with open hearts and open ears. So welcome. I'm going to invite us into a kind of strange, but one of my favorite forms of prayer practice this morning. So this is called body prayer. It's a way to use our bodies as we invoke prayers to God as well, connecting both body and mind. So I invite you to sit however you feel comfortable. Maybe your legs are crossed, maybe they're uncrossed. That doesn't really matter. Your eyes can be open, fixed on a spot, or you can flutter your eyes closed. Stretching your arms by your side. They might have to stretch out against the um, chair next to you. Don't feel bad if you bump into your neighbor. Just give them an awkward glance and then go back to your prayer. And then tilt your head up, feeling the stretch along the front of your throat, feeling your head raised and maybe the light pouring in on your eyelids. They're closed. This is a posture of willingness, a posture of opening ourselves to be used by God. And so we pray, God of compassion, there is enough to go around. We, always, we know there is enough hurting and harm in the world, but with you, God, there is also enough hope 
We know this to be true because you do not give up. You bring babies into this world. You keep restoring rights to those in need of justice and you keep opening our eyes to new opportunities to share your love. Use us, God, to preach good news as Jesus did, to heal the sick and the sick at heart, to resist evil, to reject injustice, and to not just offer a home to the outcast, but to make our home their home and their home our home. And now church, I invite you to take your hands and place them over your heart. This is a posture of devotion. We are your people. You are our God. We offer ourselves to you because we belong to no one else. We are yours. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So Jesus arrived in his own town, not his hometown, but his own town where he was doing ministry called Capernaum. Everybody knew his name there. He had been forgiving and healing and cleaning up others in the town. And then Jesus meets a tax collector named Matthew. And scholars debate whether the tax collectors, some say they were wealthy, the elite, those sitting in their booths waiting for the poor and the meager masses to bring them money. And if not, those tax collectors would flex their muscles and send out their hitmen to shake down others and shake out their pockets, lining their booths with more and more money. But then other scholars assume that the tax collectors were caught up in this system, fixed on behalf of the Roman Empire. They only knew the evil pressures of pressing people for increasingly more money, driving people into grievously more debt because they were paid an unfair wage for their job. So they were forced to use extortion on others, lining their pockets with money because their pockets and their houses and their bellies were also empty. And for my money, it's probably just a mix of the two. Matthew, sitting in his booth with his ledger, he carefully keeps accounts, examines the queue forming outside. Who's here, he squints, to settle their accounts. Who does he know is gonna beg for a little more leniency, a few more weeks for mercy because they never seem to have the money on time. And so he sighs with exasperation at the toil of another day's work for the man. He will bear the brunt of everyone's complaints. He will have to tow the company line and he does it knowing that if he doesn't, his own family, his own life, his own pressure meager existence will be threatened. And so he goes about his work, checking accounts, insisting on payment, looking over his nose at the, tax collect, the taxpayer because he can't bring himself to look them full in the face with his head held high. And the market winds up as it does, the day gets hotter and the hubbub of the crowd gets louder. There's a line forming. It doesn't shorten, but it grows increasingly longer, winding and snaking through the bustling of everyday errand runners in the marketplace. People seem distracted on their waiter. They're just trying to distract themselves while they wait, pushing and starting scuffles, craning their necks to check their status in line or just to get over their boredom. And then, a whisper falls over the crowd as the young man approaches. Oh, is that Jesus? 
They've whispered about over purchases and over late night glasses of wine. That man who claims people need ears to hear what God has to say. That Jesus with his crew in his wake proceeding to the front of the line. Who the heaven does this guy think he is? No cuts, no buts, sir. But Jesus doesn't give a darnation. He's gone to the place where people gather the tax collector's booth. He doesn't flash a badge or even a smile and he doesn't mince words. He is authentically authoritative about his job. And he says, follow me. And is that an invitation? Is it a command? Follow me where and to do what? For whom? And I would also say, who are you to tell me what to do? But Matthew, Matthew knowing that the system has his hands tied has copies of his banking routing number, all of his personal information, as much as he wants to fall off the grid and start over to begin life anew and get out of this eat or be eaten world. He knows he just, he he can't. This isn't the way. It, It can't be that simple, he thinks. And yet, he does. Matthew, with the scrape of his chair, gets up and pushes back, pressing on all the bad decisions and the pressures and the structures in place. And so that evening, they all recline at the table and Matthew's invited all of his friends to join him saying, guess what? I'm taking the plunge. I didn't even put in my two weeks notice. I told my boss what I thought of him and where he can shove it and then I walked right out of there. And so they gather to celebrate and they gather to try and talk him out of it. And they try to get the low down, the latest, the deets on what this drastic midlife crisis is about. And so they recline together with their friend and then this weirdo and those worshipers who call themselves disciples Everyone sits there, the saints and the sinners, the tax evaders and the tax collectors. It's a new day, a new kind of meal where all are welcome, even those who felt uncomfortable just moments ago, even those who didn't know the host or who didn't get the religious jargon. This guy, this Jesus was here to heal the sick, to bind up those suffering from grief and doubt and loneliness and heartbreak. He was here to shock sight into those who are blind to truth in this world and to set the oppressed free with the power and hope of God. So they were a strange bunch gathered there in need of harvest. Not that they were the ones to be harvested because that would be weird and gross, but they were hungry for good food produced by ripe fruits and vegetables and grains of the good news of God. There was and is enough hope to share and they were ready, inquisitive to hear it. This morning, we begin a new sermon series. Uh, It's called Beyond Invitation. And I'll let you in on a little UBC secret. Uh, We pastors don't tell you this, but I wanna tell you anyway, keep it in your back pocket. Every year, every June to be exact, UBC at all four sites, stretching from the south side to the west side to the north side, launches a sermon series on evangelism every year. Have you noticed that? It comes up on the calendar every time. It's, It's a strategic move, to be honest, to try and hype you up so that you'll run and march in the pride parade. Can I get an amen? It's also to convince you to sign up to stand under a tent for hours at a time and figure out how to use that dang button maker that I forget every year how it works. Because for the life of me, a festival comes around every year. But more than that, more than that, it's about 
Once a year, we talk about faith sharing, truth telling, the good news of God that God is not finished yet because we believe there are still people who need to hear it. We believe there are still people in need of hope, of a reminder of God's pride and provision of the community in times of desperate, desperate isolation. And so we begin this year by talking about why we share our faith, to whom we are called to share, and how to do it without sounding like a creep. Can I get an amen? Because let's be real, you and I both know evangelism can be creepy. I myself have repented many a times for creepy evangelism tactics that were coercive and manipulative and often very inept. When really, if we study Jesus, we see the original evangelist of inclusive ministry. Some call him the OG of Evangelion or the original gangster of the good news. He goes out to the people. He goes he goes where the good people are, where the crowds gather, where life occurs. He recognizes those who are marginalized by religious institutions. Those in most need are usually the ones in desperate need of invitation, a friendly face, a reminder that not all Christians are like that, that God is a God of radical welcome and radical inclusion, that those harmed and doing the harm both each drink and party hard at God's banquet. But I have a warning. We talked about warnings last week, the power of following the movement of the Holy Spirit. I warned you, I warned you about the power of following the Holy Spirit. If we become people moved by the Spirit, people who go beyond invitation and decide to center our ministries and our cares and our forces on the marginalized, the people who believe they are following God's mission, we might suffer. Inviting in and then centering those most harmed by society, we often risk ourselves to be set up for ridicule, for threats, and for accusations. So I have to warn you, it is dangerous work to follow Jesus in this way. And why it is actually really brave that Matthew stands up and walks away. His agreement to follow, to invite party, people to the after party is a powerful move questioned by religious leaders, even at that celebration. But we also have to remember that Jesus, well, Jesus gives zero things. He is undeterred by their side-eyed glances, their upturned noses, their snide comments. Do not bother him. Instead, he dusts his shoulders off because there is no time to waste on judgment. His energy is better spent on the compassion he feels. It's a gut feeling because ancient people, I don't know if you know this, but they believed that the gut was the body's center of love and empathy, not the heart. And I kind of know this to be true because my gut stirs, my bowels of my body gurgle for love and mercy when a late night commercial starts playing Sarah McLaughlin <laughs> and pictures of animals scroll across my screen. My stomach, I know, does somersaults and my large intestines become heavy with grief. With grief when I see dead Syrian children lifted from the water as they attempt to flee persecution. This is the gut of compassion. This is the compassion Jesus has for the outcast, those prevented from hearing hope, those told not often enough that they are worthy, that they start to believe that they are unworthy, that others start to believe it as well. 
So be warned, this gut-like compassion can get you in trouble. And it will make you unpopular if you start to follow this gut of loving kindness. When we are moved by our gut, when we respond to the need of God's pride in others whom God created, we open ourselves up to threats, but also to unpopularity, to criticism, to plain and simple unwanted, unhelpful remarks, usually over the Thanksgiving dinner table. Because compassion stirs up and gets one in trouble, sometimes good trouble, but sometimes overwhelming suffering because compassion most days is actually under a threat. Loving kindness goes punished. I was reading an article this, more, this week and moved by the fact that at the southern border of our United States, American citizens are now being stopped just for talking to people who look like migrants crossing the border. One man in Arizona was detained and now faces up to 12 years of jail time for having a conversation with someone who was found out to be a migrant. Another woman in my home state of Texas pulled over the side of the road when she saw a woman lying by the highway in need of medical attention. She helped the woman and those traveling with her into her car so they could experience the air conditioning, which is a godsend if you've ever been to the Southwest Texas heat. But this good Samaritan waited outside of her car on the phone with customs and border patrol to arrive when the police pulled over and then arrested her for harboring migrants in her car. She was arrested for aiding and abetting their transportation, offering air conditioning. People at our southern border states, legal residents of America, live with the threat of showing compassion. Compassion to those clearly in need who are being forced, people are being forced to choose between talking to strangers or offering a cold shoulder. They must decide, do they turn a blind eye to those suffering and dying on their streets or suffer the consequences of simply helping a person in need? Loving kindness, compassion, beyond invitation, genuine welcome can get us in trouble. So we best be careful. We best be careful because when we act with loving kindness and compassion and beyond invitation, God goes with us. And God is powerful. Because God's got our back. Because the harvest is plentiful. And again, it's not we people who are being harvested. This is not a cannibalistic practice of gathering people into our church doors. No, the harvest is plentiful because our Lord of the harvest has provided plentiful good news good news for the sick and the poor and the hurting and the harmed. There is enough people in need of God's good food, sustenance for the soul. Thanks be to God, there is enough hope that we can share with a hurting world. So we go forth, not just here on Sunday mornings, but we go out prepared to be with, to tell others, to invite, but also to be in relationship with, to risk starting a conversation, to stop and offer assistance to those in need because God's got our backs. There is a world in need to hear the good news. There are plenty of people hurting from the stress of life, from the anxiety of living paycheck to paycheck, from working jobs that they hate and the anxiety that they are not really worth what they're getting paid. There is need in our city to dance in, to celebrate, to go to spoken word nights at queer black owned businesses because we've got money to spend and booties to shake and poor poetry to spout out. 
There are parents and singled and partnered trying just to make it through school, through work, just trying not to kill a kid. And they deserve all of our pats on the back and prayers, but they also need meals and babysitting and they need a community. They need you. They need you in your strangeness and your uniqueness. And I don't have it all together, but I'm still trying to make it-ness to invest in their children and their well-being, to reflect the image of God to their children, to remind the next generation that they too are beloved by God because there is enough good news in your gut to share because God's got your back. But, but this uh, OG Evangelion, the original gangster of the good news, also, I sometimes have to ask him, what, how the heck do I do this, God? So we're gonna spell it out a little practically, real quickly, you ready? Here's how to share the good news. It is to act like God is proud of you. Act like God loves you. You can do this in quiet, silent ways and you can do it loud and proud with your stiletto heels. Whatever it is, you wear a shirt, you march in parades, you being your God-beloved self in public at the grocery store and at the club and at the bar, acting like God is proud of you, reminds those around you that God is proud of them. Sometimes though, we even have to say it out loud. And an easy trick, I'm just gonna let you know, if you're feeling a little nervous to say to someone else, hey, God is proud of you, just get a friend to go with you, a friend from church. And when people ask, or even unprompted, just say, oh, we met at church. God's proud of us. God's proud of you. But that requires another thing. It requires you to speak up. It requires to insert yourself into conversation. Even when you were unwanted or unasked for, but you hear that person spouting out uh, Bible verses that are not actually in the Bible, like cleanliness is next to godliness. No, not in the Bible. And so you can say, well, at my church, that's, we, we worship God that doesn't believe in cleanliness. <laughs> We're a hot mess, if you know what I mean. All you have to do is insert yourself and say the simple words that open up a conversation that people know church is a real thing, that God is still moving. So all you say is, at my church, we have so many gay pride flag parades, we get accused of being too gay. Or we talk about race too much, it makes me uncomfortable, but we have to keep doing it. At my church, we are bold and inclusive, and we're trying hard to be relevant. And you do this by listening to your gut, the seat of your compassion. This is the third trick. Don't allow yourself to be soothed to inaction because you know what that bubbling feels like, like you drank too much prune juice last night. While the threat of those acting with compassion is real, the threat against the life of those who need God news, God's news is stronger. So allow your bowels to bubble for justice. Allow your heart to ache with empathy and your body to act with conviction, conviction because lives depend on it. Lonely, sick hearts need binding up and corrupt, sick hearts need correction. And then the last recommendation is just simply try because you don't go alone. God's got your back because there are increasingly more people who need to be included, who need to be welcomed, whose voices need to be heard at the table and who need to be celebrated over with meals, who need the joy of partying in relationship with others, who need the reminder that while life can be hard, they are unicorns of God's magical creation, uniquely formed and dearly beloved. So try, because the world desperately needs to hear from you, because the harvest is plentiful. 
because you are capable and God's got your back. Will you pray with me? God of compassion, you have opened the way for us and brought us to yourself. Pour your love into our hearts that overflow with joy that we may freely share the blessings of your kingdom. Pour your compassion into our guts that overflowing with the desire to act, we bring others closer in, listen to their voice and make their needs our needs in order to faithfully, faithfully proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ because we are your people you are our God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.